Thank you for listening to Taken by the Sea, by John Rosetta. This is the adventure of William Harris, a true story of a journey across the globe by one of the founding fathers of the world's smallest republic. We are proud to present this podcast to you, and we hope you'll follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Please rate us on your podcast platform of choice if you enjoy these episodes. And now we begin with Chapter 3, My Mark on the World, Part 1. For reasons beyond my understanding, she refused to grace me with an answer. I believe there was an answer somewhere inside her mind, and I believed I was entitled to it. It's not that simple, William. Was the closest thing to an answer I would receive. I turned away, which I knew would annoy her. It was perhaps one of the few powers I still had over her. As I did, the bells began to chime in the distance to announce the passage of time. It was a reminder that was not needed. As a man condemned to death, you immediately realize the value of time. It occurred to me in that moment that I would only hear those bells a few more times in my life. It wasn't so long ago that different bells had rung on a clear spring afternoon just as our marriage had become official. The outpouring of love, the joy of being surrounded by those who cared for us, and of course the excitement of marrying such an incredible person still overwhelms me. Years later, our courtship and engagement had been a happy whirlwind. We spent as much time together as we could, and grew closer each day. We enjoyed horseback riding and reading the classics to one another, in between our numerous social engagements. She was well-read, even more so than I had been, and with a sharp wit that could rival anyone. After such a long period when I hadn't been allowed to court her, my fear was that she wouldn't meet my elevated expectations, or that I wouldn't meet hers. At least speaking personally, I believed that she had adamantly exceeded my highest hopes in every way. She was everything that I had been looking for, and I couldn't wait to spend the rest of my life with her. We announced our engagement on New Year's Day to our friends and family, to the surprise of nearly no one. This was, of course, Mary's second marriage, and with that I wrongly assumed that she might not be as enthusiastic as others might be. As I said, I was quite wrong about that as she tackled each step of the planning process with excitement. She and my mother grew close during this time, which I was grateful for. The wedding gave her something positive to focus on, and as Mary's parents had both passed on, it provided her with a maternal influence at what must have been an emotionally complicated time. Thankfully, neither of them needed much in the way of input from me, other than my financial support. The business at that time continued to grow, keeping Marcus and I busy. His time and attention would soon be turning towards a campaign for Parliament, and we were doing our best to prepare for that shift. I was happy for him. It's what he had always wanted. Selfishly, I had enjoyed our time building the newspaper and wished he didn't have to go. Of course, he made enough time to be my best man and was helpful in every way he needed to be. The day of our wedding, despite or maybe because of all the meticulous planning, went by in a flash. It was a very happy flash, undoubtedly the happiest day of my life. After a brief ceremony at our local church, we were joined by friends and family at my parents' home. The house and grounds, which could be described as modest at best, had been converted into a spectacle through a combination of fabric and flowers. The transformation was nearly beyond belief, thanks to the collective efforts of more than a few. It was a glamorous evening full of dancing, dedications, food, wine, and the most beautiful bride in the world. I will never forget how incredible Mary looked that night. She was a vision of elegance that I'd never seen before, or since. 
As the bell struck midnight, we danced in each other's arms when nearly everyone else had left. At the end of what had been a great celebration, I looked at my beautiful bride, and I still couldn't believe how lucky I was to be her husband. Not long after the wedding and against my mother's wishes, we moved into a place of our own. It was far from an estate of the landed gentry, but still a house that was a bit too grandiose for my liking. Mary had insisted on residence closer to London that was fitting of our social status. In truth, it gave off the reflection of a status much higher than ours, as well as an equally poor reflection on my bank balance. Despite my initial misgivings, our new home made her happy, and I had dedicated myself to her happiness by any means possible. As we quickly moved through the first year of our marriage, Mary dedicated herself to decorating our new house and building our lives together. She spared no expense on both the refinements that we surrounded ourselves with and the company we kept. Barely a fortnight would go by when we were not entertaining a large number of influential strangers. The vast majority of our guests were ladies and gentlemen I had never heard of, would never hear from again, and all pretended to know me. I found these events quite draining, and often tried unsuccessfully to find excuses not to attend. Despite my feelings on these frequent gatherings, it made Mary very happy to live this life, and at that time, very little else mattered to me. The other preoccupation of Mary's mind was that of starting a family. With the tragic memories of the untimely death of her son and husband, it was somewhat surprising to me that she was so immediately enthusiastic to start another family. In retrospect, it was perhaps a desire of mine that she might show hesitation on this topic, as I'd never been interested in having children of my own. For better or for worse, this was not the case, and at times it felt as though we talked about very little else with each other. Mary, a consummate planner, had mapped out everything in the lives of our future children, from their cribs to their universities. She neglected to consider the character and free will of those children. In her mind, no doubt their feelings on these decisions were a set of minor inconveniences, easily overcome. However, as is the case for many who have planned their lives so thoroughly, the unexpected has a way of making its own plans. While a family was on both of our minds, for some reason beyond my comprehension, we were unable to get pregnant in the first year of marriage. Despite no lack of desire, God chose not to bless us. Confidence in his divine wisdom was little comfort to Mary. She had conceived before, and she operated under the assumption that I, for a variety of conclusions, was the reason behind her inability to conceive. I certainly wanted to start a family, but was not in a hurry to do so. It was perhaps my expressions of honesty on the subject that began to add tension to an already stressful topic of conversation. In truth, around halfway through that first year, my mind quickly became focused elsewhere. While the newspaper had enjoyed the benefit of novelty in its first year, competition soon found us by the autumn. By the end of the year, we had four rival publications, which did all they could to cut into our market share. Distribution became more competitive, and we were forced to lower our prices. These and other factors as well as rising expenses in my personal life, all contributed to a stressful collection of circumstances as the new year began. While I knew that my business needed my undivided attention, it felt like every moment without Mary was a waste of time. Every part of me loved her in every possible way. We took several trips to the country, attended plays, and spent so many happy times together. In truth, it didn't matter to me what we did as long as we were together. Our late afternoon walks were what I looked forward to the most. As we would walk past the shops she loved to frequent and hold my arm, I was so proud to be the one she had chosen to spend her life with. 
That pride was mixed with so much love, and a small amount of disbelief. She was the best part of my life, the glue that held my world together. As the new year began, I was filled with an almost supernatural sense of optimism. I knew this would be the year that I would become a father, and with an election ahead of us, it was my belief that interest in my paper would be at an all-time high. Good fortune appeared to knock on my door one day in late January, in the form of Marcus Fleet. He burst into my office somewhat rudely, as I was looking over the proofs for the following day's publication. Well, if it isn't my favourite member of Parliament, I said, with a bit less enthusiasm than he was hoping for. Marcus had been lucky enough to have been elected in a special election around six months before. I had supported him in every way, and we were all so proud that he was in the process of reaching his full potential. That being said, being a member of the House of Commons had certainly made him a bit arrogant, which I took every opportunity to point out to him and others. I'm surprised your head fit through the bloody door, I expressed. If it weren't for me, you wouldn't have a bloody door, he reminded me. How's everything with our paper? Our margins keep getting tighter, but overall we're still holding our own, I said with some hesitation. We will need to tighten our belts at some point if these trends continue. I found myself downplaying the situation to him, and I wasn't sure why. The truth of it was that things were looking grim. We needed a way to increase our readership, or we'd be forced to start laying off people within the next six months. Well, my dear William, I believe those trends are about to change. Marcus proclaimed. He paused and smiled for a bit too long. We had known each other for so long that he was aware of techniques to irritate me that even I was unaware of. I grew anxious in frustration to the point where I must have looked comically uncomfortable. Well, go on then, I blurted out. Don't let me stop you. He looked pleased with himself as he continued. As you know, in my incredibly short time as an MP, I have been able to secure connections both far and wide due to my irresistible charm and appeal. If eye rolls were audible, he would have gone deaf. Go on. I was starting to believe this was a farce of some kind. What if I told you that through those newly formed but highly reliable connections, I had secured you an exclusive interview with the most powerful man in the country? I sat back in my chair, taking a second to realise that he was being serious, and that this could in fact be a great opportunity. You've arranged an audience with King George? He retreated a bit, realising his words had betrayed him. Not quite. He admitted. Perhaps the second most powerful man in the country. I knew who he was referring to, but I couldn't let him have all the fun. The man who cleans King George's chamber pot, or maybe his valet. All right, well played. He conceded. No, of course not. The legend himself, the Duke of Wellington. Even though I knew he was going to say his name, once I heard it, the gravity of the situation dawned on me. Arthur Wellesley, the Duke of Wellington, was a figure that loomed larger than life. One could debate that he had become a more popular figure than King George, since he defeated Napoleon at Waterloo nearly twenty years before. His military prowess was only matched by an undeniable level of charisma, which had contributed to a successful political career in recent years. He had already become Prime Minister once, and he was expected to again later in the year. He undoubtedly was looking to advance his ambitions through access to our readers and subscribers. I have to admit, I'm impressed. Don't be impressed. Be impressive. The Duke doesn't suffer fools, and I traded in a lot of favours to get you this. Thank you for listening to Taken by the Sea. 
If you are enjoying the episodes, please rate us highly on your podcast platform of choice. If you have questions for the author, John Rosetta, please send them through Facebook or Instagram, and we'll do our best to include them in future shows. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to bringing you more of the story in the weeks ahead.